Let's get sweaty. Hello and welcome to the first ever Shenmue Dojo Show. As the name suggests, this show will be all about Shenmue, the series, the history, the future, with news, interviews, music and more. So firstly, let me introduce myself. I'm James Brown, co-owner here at ShenmueDojo.com, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, the other half of the ownership, Matt Oliver. How's it going, man? Yeah, good, man. How's it going? Yeah, all good here. Great stuff. Um, So firstly, to kick things off, you will be aware that we've just celebrated our 20th anniversary as the original Shenmue resource. That's a crazy long time, 20 years, eh? To celebrate this milestone, we've both been working hard away on our own projects for the website. But on Matt's side of the fence, he's been hunting down fantastic interview opportunities with various well-known people connected to the Shenmue series. Uh, One of those people was Ryan Payton. So Matt, would you like to tell the audience who Ryan is and what his involvement was with Shenmue? So I'll, I'll summarise this so I don't spoil too much. Um, but Ryan Payton was um, instrumental in actually getting Shenmue 3 off the ground in terms of the Kickstarter. So he presented the idea of using Kickstarter to use Suzuki in 2014 as a realistic way of getting Shenmue 3 funded and getting that development started. And Ryan sort of over the interviews has talked a little bit about how he met uh, Yuzuzuki, his influences on the game, and um, Shenmue in general, and his feelings towards it, and also a little bit talk about his own career and the things that he's achieved in the gaming industry. And to be fair to Ryan, he's been completely open and honest with me, and they're well worth the listen. I'm just working on parts two and three, so they should be out uh, probably in the new year, actually. That's great. I mean, you can listen to part one right now over on the Shemu Dojo YouTube, and um, we're going to try and get that uh, as a, an audio podcast kind of format as well, alongside this particular show that we're recording right now. So um, hopefully you'll be able to discover uh, Matt's interview with Ryan Payton there uh, in some form somewhere. Like I say, just go on YouTube and go on the Shemu Dojo uh, VOD channel, and uh, you can already find that 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 first part of the interview there and obviously Matt says part two and part three are going to come later I think you said that you're going to combine part two and three into one big episode is that right yeah that, that's right because um unfortunately Ryan had to, had to sort of cut cut part two a little bit short but he, he's um promised me some extra time to sort of carry on from where we left off and we actually were discussing something very very interesting at the end of the interview um in part two but i won't i won't spoil it i'll um i'll leave it for when when we go live great stuff so now throughout the show we're going to be playing messages from various people detailing their fondest memories of shemu and to kick things off uh, talking about him just here is the one that ryan payton has recorded for us himself so uh, enjoy So my favorite Shenmue memory is sitting in, co- in my college dorm room in, in the year, end of 1999. Uh, I'm studying Japanese at college. I have a Japanese copy of, uh, of Shenmue with me, and I'm just slogging through that game, uh, not understanding everything that's being spoken to me. 
But understanding enough for me to get a sense and getting transported back to the time I spent in Japan as a, as a high school student and uh, just being just awash with, with nostalgia and memories and being just so impressed with how fully realized that, that these, these Japanese neighborhoods were. And it's just a feeling that I never had in a game, not just you know being transported to Japan in particular, but just being transported to a world that was so familiar and so realistic and so um, just so believable. So uh, yeah, that was that was my first and earliest memory of Shemu is probably the strongest that still remains to this day. Enjoying the Winterfest? Why not keep listening to Radio Sega once it's over? There's plenty of live shows, and you can even request your favorite music from our playlist. You're listening to Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. So Matt, besides Ryan, uh, who else have you been speaking to, and what can listeners expect going forward? Well, I've... By the time this actually airs, you would have heard an interview by the person who put Shenmue into Dreams on PS4, um, Bloodhound Town. He's an American-based um, Shenmue fan who has created um, most of Shenmue 1 in Dreams, like for like. He spent, he said to me, it's well over about 200 hours on this project, and it's due to come out on um, Christmas Day, in fact. So... Hopefully there's no more delays for it because he's already delayed it once to make things a little bit better and sort of tighten things up as he goes. That'd be a good um, Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, a very good Christmas present. Um, uh, if, if you've got dreams and you're a Shenmue fan, pick it up because it's going to be in VR as well. So you'll get that sort of full-on VR experience with it, which um, I think he's done a really good job, actually. I, I, I was really, really impressed with the work he's done. Same here, what he's he showed off on... Uh, he's did a YouTube video himself, didn't he? And it looks really good. You know what he's been able to create. You got the uh, the dojo and the Hazuki residence there. Really good stuff. It's it's really really good, and it's these sorts of fan projects that sort of kept the community alive. If you think going back to the darker days when there was nothing going on, so it's good to see these things still happening. Actually, um, so yeah, that's one interview that I've um, I've carried out, and is all ready to go. Um, as of recording this right now, I have a booking with Cedric um, from Shibuya Productions, who obviously was heavily, heavily involved in Shenmue 3. And we're going to be talking um, about the Shenmue 3 project. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about Cedric's gaming history, because he's as much of a Sega fan as, as anybody that I've met, to be fair to him. Yep. Um, and I'm also going to sort of talk to him about his upcoming projects and other things that he works on, because I think actually sometimes we forget that Cedric is a man of uh, many talents. He's got a manga that's already come out. Um, he's worked on TV shows, and they've just had a new game from his, his studio, Twin Mirror, which came out on the 1st of December, which I'm still looking to pick up. Yeah, so same keep, keep, keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, that game looks pretty cool, to be honest. It's got... Um, looked a bit kind of like the um, the Quantic Dreams style games with, you know, like Heavy Rain and... Um, Detroit Become Human, those type of games where um, there's uh, quite a, a good story element to them. And, um, it's, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's, uh, I like those sorts of games personally. I think 
it looks like it's something that would definitely appeal to my taste. So I'm, I'm definitely looking to pick it up. I actually can't get hold of it at the moment. It's really frustrating. I want a physical copy because I'm old school like you, James. I, I like having yeah, of course. in my hand. Um, so I'm, I'm... Is it a, um, a PS4? Or it's not PS5, it's, is it? No, it's, PS, it's PS4. I think it's PS4 Pro Enhanced. So I imagine it get a little performance boost on the PS5. You can also get it on um, PC through the Epic Store as well. Um, yep. So, I mean, worst case, I'll grab it off of there. But I'd rather rather have it in, in, in my hand. That's just a, just me being fussy, I think, more than anything else. That's fair enough. And just while you mentioned the PS5, um, have you... You tried out Shenmue 1 and 2 HD and Shenmue 3 on the, the PS5? Yeah, yeah um, Shenmue 1 and 2 run quite nicely. Actually, there's very little difference in the terms of the way they run. and um, to be expected, really, I think, because they pretty much eked out every bit of performance on the um, re-releases anyway. Uh, Shenmue 3 sees a nice performance boost, actually. Um, uh, for those who remember playing it on the base PlayStation 4 or the Pro, um, some areas are a bit stuttery. The frame rate would chop and change quite a lot. Um, it's now locked 60 frames per second on PS5. Um, it's a really nice, smooth experience now. So if you haven't tried it on PS5 or haven't played the game yet, but have a PS5, pick it up, put it in the PS5, and the performance is, is, is night and day different. It's really good on there. And does it improve like character fade-in? Because obviously as you were running around, especially in Niawu, uh, the characters popping in the distance and uh, taking a while to load to get to an NPC to chat to them kind of thing. Is that, has that been improved as well? It's definitely a little bit quicker. I wouldn't say it's as bad as it would be on a, on a base PS4. Um, the difference between the PS5 and the PS4 Pro probably isn't massive, but again, it's still a performance enhancement. I think it's probably limited by the game engine more than anything else because they can't brute force it through, but and they probably need a patch to, to fix it. But all in all, it's definitely an overall performance boost and it's well worth putting onto the PS5 if you want to play it. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So, Matt, going back to the interviews, obviously for the, the 20th anniversary, uh, Shemidou's 20th anniversary, you also, also interviewed Andy Bandos, who was the uh, obviously the original owner of the Shemidou. It used to be called Rio's Place when he first created the website. Um, so you can check that out as well on the official Shemudojo website. Um, should still be quite easily accessible, I think, if you go for the news sections uh, on the front page. You should be able to find that interview. Yeah, you should. It should, should be quite accessible. So it can't be that far down yet. <laughs> yeah, well, it was only last month, wasn't it? Yeah. So should be okay if you wanted to read about the original Shemudojo owner and what kind of he's up to these days. Um but uh, I wanted to ask, uh, how, are you, how are you finding these these interview processes so far? Is everything going as well as you, you expected it to or better? It's a learning curve, I think. Um, I try, my, The way I want to interview people, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'll openly admit it, I'm a wrestling fan. So I watch these um, sort of wrestling YouTube videos and interviews quite often. And I like interviews that they ask a question and then they, they let the person uh, you know, go into the stories, answer those questions. And then you can sort of follow up around those stories and around those those times that they're talking about. So I've tried to, I like those interviews. So I, for me, I want to interview in that sort of style because I think it's quite relaxed. It makes people sort of at ease and just, just enjoy having a casual chat with people at the end of the day because that's what I want it to come across as a, 
it's a casual chat between people who enjoy and love Shenmue at the end of the day. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was definitely nervous when I, when I started picking these up. Um, yeah, it doesn't show. <laughs> you should. It's all honest. You've just really great job on the the interviews you've done so far. You should have um, the one with my part one with Ryan. I was a, I was a nervous wreck beforehand. Because <laughs> obviously, you want to create a good impression, don't you? Because yeah, you want... exactly. I'd, I'd be the same. Yeah, and you know, someone of his caliber and. You know, <laughs> you feel like you, you don't want to embarrass yourself, do you? Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And also, you just want to, you don't want to waste you know, waste their time. You want to ask good questions. You want to get some good answers and get some good discussion out of out of the interviews. And I think, for, for by and large, I think I'm getting that. I'm improving as I go. I'm learning on the job, so to speak. But it, I enjoy it. It's good fun. And even even the editing of everything down and getting everything ready, I quite like that. I find it quite, quite therapeutic, actually, in some respects. Yeah, well, I mean, considering you've never done it before, I, th- I think you've done a great job so far. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we're both kind of doing for the first time. And and hopefully we're coming across as though it isn't the first time. You know, we've, we're kind of just delving deep into, the, well, into the deep end, really. And hopefully people are enjoying the content that we've put out so far. But anyway, let's move on. So for this particular Shemu Dojo show, uh, we've kind of partnered with Radio Sega's Winterfest event. So um, if you're listening to us live through Radio Sega, you know, welcome. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, thanks for spending your time with us. Uh, there's obviously, there's always some fantastic shows that make up the Winterfest event. And uh, me and Matt, we're, we're honoured to have been asked to be part of it. So since we're on Radio Sega with this first show, we thought it would only be fitting to play some Shemu tunes route. So to kick things off, uh, we're going to play one of my favourite Shemu tracks, Uh, Here it is, it's Endless World.
I'm Bloodhound Town, and my favorite Shenmue memory is going to the Heartbeats bar late at night to ask about Charlie. <laughs> That's it. You're locked in to Radio Sega's Winterfest 2020. Snow, shows, and Sega all weekend long. So that was Endless World, a song which is from the Shemi One Orchestra soundtrack, but it doesn't actually feature in Shemi One, to the best of my knowledge. I think the first time we hear this track outside of the promotional footage before the game's release, it was in fact in Shemu Two, in a scene Rio has with Han Hui in Mammo Temple. And from memory, only the first part of that track's played, uh, kind of creating this sort of like moody atmosphere in, inside Mammo Temple. But I uh, I love how the the song evolves throughout and you know, halfway through completely flips, you know, that, that, that part, it kind of gives me chills when it really kicks in. And that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Um, so Matt, I thought it would be good for the first show to go back to our roots as gamers and, uh, talk about our history of gaming and more specifically Sega. So, uh, why don't you kick things off? I try and keep it as brief as I can. Cause I think we will go off at a tangent talking about all things Sega and while I, while I think we'll enjoy it, I don't know how much everybody else will. Um, so I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I blame my dad. It's his fault I'm a gamer. Um, he bought me, ironically enough, thinking way, way back, a Commodore 64, if you remember one of those. I remember them. Yeah, I don't think I ever owned one, though. We are, uh, for those who don't who don't remember them, you have to put you have to put cassette tape into a deck. Yeah, yeah. And then it'd load up all the funny colours on the screen, and then you'd have your game. Um, good nostalgic memory there. Same with the I had the uh, the Spectrum ZX, and that was the the same with the cassette cassette thing, and you had to wait like half an hour for the. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you can't. I think I think it read the tape, didn't it? Throughout the the whole tape and obviously yeah, it was yeah, creating this image image on the on the screen before you could play the game it's really cool it's re- yeah it's, it's funny isn't it and actually i wouldn't ever advocate it um but it was really easy to pirate these games because you could just shove them in a tape deck with a blank tape and away you went <laughs> you'd have no i don't have know pirate games on the Commodore 64 yeah we yeah i'm a bit, bit naughty i'll get someone knocking on my door now but never mind um <laughs> So I had my first experience with Sega was Outrun, actually, on the Commodore 64. We had that, um, had the port on there, which was, I, I remember that vividly. How did that play? Did that um, play any similar to the arcade release? Or? It's, really, uh, it's really hard to remember, but I remember having a good time with it. So I'm going to I'm gonna leave that as, as it was. Um, was, do you reckon Yu Suzuki was involved in the Commodore 64 version or I'd imagine there'd have been some involvement somewhere. I, I don't I don't know the history about it to be honest. It's something that could be be a topic for the for the Sega groups, I think, whether how much involvement he'd had in that in that particular port and the other ports that were around outside of the Sega Sega machines at the mm. time. Um so I'm yeah. sure someone's already done that. Yeah, probably have. <laughs> um, so sort of after the Commodore, um I was bought uh, a Sega Mega Drive, um, which I chose over the, um, I think it was the Super, no, no the the, um, the, um, the old NES at the time. I remember mm. seeing Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario side by side, and uh, it wasn't a contest for me, <laughs> quite honest with you. So I picked up Sonic the Hedgehog and, and NHL, I think it was a um, double header pack with John Madden football. And that was it. I, I was hooked on Sega from the offset. 
So I, I worked my way through just the Mega Drive. Um, we picked up a Sega Saturn not too long after it launched in the UK. We had Gator, we had Sega Rally, we had Virtual Fighter, we had Virtual Cop with the um, with the light gun. And again, I was enamoured with it. I just loved it. The Sega Saturn, in in my opinion, is actually a highly underrated console for the library it's got. But I won't, won't go into that in too many too much detail now. And then um, we, from that straight onto the Dreamcast. Not again. I think it was Christmas of launch. I got that. Um, got Sonic Adventure. I got Soul Calibur. Later on, picked up games like Crazy Taxi, Jet Set Radio. Um, trying to think what else I picked up. Sega Rally Two. All from those. launch, did you get Power Stone? I didn't actually. It's one I didn't get. Um, I regret it now because it's really expensive to pick up um but and then obviously um shenmue um which one we're going to talk about in a lot more detail very soon i'm sure yeah of course that's a, a clue in the name of the show i think <laughs> <laughs> great stuff yeah so i mean I, I share same kind of timeline as you matt apart from obviously i had the spectrum instead of the commodore um but uh my, my re- main my first real console was Mega Drive, you know, similar to your experience there. Sonic, obviously, a massive part of that. And uh, then I moved on to the, well, in, in tandem with the, the Mega Drive, I picked up the Game Gear. And so whenever we used to go on a drive somewhere with my mum and dad, I used to play on the Game Gear in the, the back seat for as long as the batteries would last for, at least. Um, and then... We had the, the Mega CD add-on to the, the Mega Drive, which, you know, I, I really... I really enjoyed that, a lot of the FMV games, and um, that's where I first played games like Final Fight, and uh, obviously Sonic CD was uh, a great game on that system. And then, obviously, we moved on to the, the Sega Saturn, similar to yourself, Matt, and I agree with you, I think the Saturn's library is, is totally underrated. In fact, when I, I think of what my favourite console is, it's very hard to choose between the Dreamcast and Sega Saturn, but I do kind of edge slightly to the Saturn just because uh, I, f- I feel like I've got a bit more nostalgia with the Saturn. Um, although the Dreamcast has, in my opinion, the better games, there's just something about the system, the, the Sega Saturn system, that I just really uh, am you know, en- enamoured with. It's just... Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just... Um, I think because it was so underrated, I'm, I'm kind of a, a hipster <laughs> in terms of that kind of. Uh, but then again, so is the Dreamcast in it. So, um, you know, they're, they're both as good as each other, I, I would say. Um, and obviously, then picked up the Dreamcast at launch. I remember waiting uh, outside game for it to open and uh, picking up a Dreamcast on launch day. Um, I got. Did I get? I got Sonic Adventure. Uh, Power Stone, Blue Stinger, oh, Virtual Fighter 3 team, uh, team Battle uh, I picked up as well. And uh, obviously Christmas um, that year, Shenmue came out, so picked that up on, on Christmas Day. I didn't really get a chance to play it because obviously it was Christmas and um, we were going to have Christmas dinner with the family and opening presents and all that kind of stuff. But I do remember having a 20-minute little play on Shenmue before you know the the festive events um where I just watched the the intro to the game and walked around Rio's room opened all the drawers and 
you know, I, I knew straight away it was going to be something special. Just we'd been following the, the the game in the official Dreamcast magazine and all the different Dreamcast magazines until release. So uh, I was expecting great things, and obviously it didn't disappoint. And you know, the rest is history. This is where we are now. Um, we've followed the series for the last twenty years, and you know, it, it's it's literally changed our lives uh, for the better. So yeah, so that's my history with Sega consoles and uh, Shenmue, and uh, I think it's time we play another track, Matt. So you've got a, uh, a song that you want to play next? Yeah, um, this one is one of my favourites. I actually got played at my wedding. Um, it's called "Memories of Distant Days." Uh, you will recognise it from the cutscene where Rio is eating his carrots. Remember to eat your carrots, folks. <laughs> um, and also in Shenmue Three. Um, you will come across this track where he finds the second sort of cherry blossom Shenmue tree in Bailu Village and you see his dad's um, punch mark on the tree and it just has a little sort of flashback to the scene under the cherry tree in the dojo, which I think is quite a powerful moment. So yeah, memories of distance days it is. Brilliant. Let's play that now.
Hello, everyone, and happy holidays. I'm Eric Kelso, the voice of Masayuki Fukuhara, Guizon-chen, and Ren of Heavens. You know, Shenmue really holds a special place in my heart, especially since I was lucky enough to play three very different characters. Uh, Shenmue was also the first time I had so many lines of dialogue and such developed characters in a game. Up until that time, I had done mostly just exertion sounds of hitting or being hit. But with Fukusan and Guizan, I really could feel their personalities. So that was especially interesting. And then in Shenmue 2, I got to introduce Ren, who was a blast of voice. And there was more action with Ren as well. I especially remember when Ren and Ryo were handcuffed together and running and fighting. Corey and I actually stood side by side and put out our arms to simulate being cuffed together and did the entire day's recording that way. So we were exhausted, and by the end, I think the heavy breathing and the pain in our voices were pretty authentic. Uh, I also feel so lucky to have made so many great friends through Shenmue. The people who have come to Japan or I have worked with on projects are all very important friends of mine. So, thank you to everyone in the Shenmue family. Congratulations on surviving 2020, and I wish you all the best in 2021. May the gods be with you. Okay, welcome back. That was Memories of Distant Days, and a fantastic message there from the great Eric Calso. I've been working with Eric Calso recently, as he has a huge feature in the upcoming Shenmue World magazine that the dojo has created. We did a, a rather extensive and exclusive interview with the legend himself, and as a fantastic gesture, Eric has also offered to sign a print for each of the backers for the Kickstarter, which, at the time of recording, has around 24 hours remaining. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank you all for the support over the last 30 days. It's been absolutely mental. Um, I can't wait to get the magazine and all of these extras out to everyone. It's uh, it's certainly going to be a busy period over Christmas for myself, um, getting everything packaged up and ready for all of the people that have been kind enough to back. So I thought it would be cool to go through the series section of the magazine. Uh, it's got a bit of a synopsis of each of the games of the Shemu series, and I thought we'd have a, a little chat about each game. So let's get into it with Shemu 1. So obviously I'm pretty sure everyone that's listening to this show will already be familiar with the Shemu series, but in case you aren't, Shemu 1 follows the story of Ryo Hazuki in 1986 Japan in search for answers after witnessing his father get murdered by a mysterious man known as Landy. The game was written, produced and directed by Yu Suzuki who pioneered the open world genre by creating a fully breathing and immersive world with a full day-night time system where characters had their own daily schedules. The game also featured real-time weather effects based on real-world meteorological data from the time, fully voiced non-player characters and uh, he made QTEs a popular addition to games going forth. The game also featured a fully interactive arcade comprising some of Yu Suzuki's classic Sega arcade titles and a fighting system based on Yu Suzuki's own Virtua Fighter engine. The game was released on four discs with the first three discs comprising the story of the game and the fourth disc allowing the user to connect to the internet and delve deep into the lore of the world with full character profiles, information on all the locations of Yokozuka and much much more. This disc was coined Shemi Passport and was a treasure trove of additional information. So I've got the release dates of Shemu. It got released in Japan on the 29th of December 1999. 
in EU the 24th of November 2000 and in the US the 6th of November 2000. And uh, in Japan, they also received a, a special version of the game called US Shemu, uh, which was released only in Japan and allowed Japanese fans to experience the North American dubbed release of the game. This meant that it contained full English dialogue, but with Japanese subtitles. So Matt, um, talking about Shemu 1 here, uh, what is your fondest memory of of this this classic iconic game? For me, it's where Guizong actually teaches Ryo the uh, swallow dive kick um, just before you start sort of really engaging with the Mad Angels. Um, for me, it's a, it shows a nice sort of character side to Guizong actually in terms of his his development. He starts to soften towards Ryo, and I think it's just a nice touching moment because he begins to relate to Ryo's plight in seeking revenge for his father because he, he he admits to Rio that if he was in his shoes he'd be doing the same thing so it's it's nice to see that bond start to develop between the two of them obviously leading into to the events that sort of go on further on in the game so it's it's, it's a nice it's a small moment but a nice moment all the same what about you James uh well for me I would say the the introduction to the game it's it's really iconic for myself the as soon as Rio sees the the gate of the Hazuki residence, it's it's smashed, and you know he's he's, he's unaware of what's what's happening really because no one foresaw, uh, f- f- apart from Rio's father, this this event that was about to unfold, where you know Landy has has come all the way to Rio's home and in search of the the Phoenix Mirror, um, actually in search of the Dragon Mirror, wasn't it? And he didn't realise that they the, the also had the Phoenix Mirror. Um, so obviously the the sound, the music of this whole scene that plays out is it's incredible, really how it kind of it uh, it builds up. They've uh, they really designed the music around the scene um, to actually what was happening on the screen at the time. And obviously Rio goes into the dojo and sees his father being um, in mid fight with Landy, and that's it's literally how how the story then unfolds from that point going forth as as rio goes in in search of landy and um basically uh, after revenge for him murdering his father basically in front of his eyes and obviously he steals the dragon mirror and um that, that's that's how the game ends up continuing from that moment really so that whole intro for me is 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 really iconic and i remember watching it for the first time and just being blown away just blown away by the graphics and um, you know the cinematography of the uses he was able to create for Shemu One and in particular, it's just uh, it's incredible, really. Um, so I, th- I thought, with that being discussed, we'll we'll play the intro music, which is it's actually called the Initiator, um, and uh, we'll play that play that piece of music right now.
Winterfest 2020, December 18th to the 21st, only on Radio Sega. So that was the intro music, which is called The Initiator, which uh, obviously you all know from the, the introduction cutscene of Shenmue. So let's move into Shenmue 2 now. Shemu 2 continues where the first game left off. Ryo arrives in Hong Kong in pursuit of his father's killer with only one clue to aid him. A letter from Master Chen containing an invitation to meet a master known as Li Xiao Tao. Along the way, Ryo will meet new friends and foes alike, taking him from the unfamiliar city of Wan Chai to the seedy underbelly of Kowloon and finally the tranquil Guilin. Originally released for the Sega Dreamcast and then later on Microsoft's Xbox console. Due to exclusivity rights obtained by Microsoft, the North American Dreamcast version was cancelled. Because of this, no English dub was recorded for this version, so the European release instead featured the original Japanese audio with English, French and Spanish subtitles. Like the original Shenmue, Shenmue 2 was developed by Sega's AM2 and directed by Yusuzuki. Some of Shenmue 2 was actually developed in tandem with the first Shenmue, giving the games the title of the most expensive video game ever developed at that time. So, obviously, it was then released for the, the Xbox uh, in 2002, bringing some slight improvements to the overall experience. The most significant difference was the inclusion of a full English dub, with Corey Marshall reprising his role as Ryo Hazuki from the first game. Also added were two new gameplay features, a snapshot mode to take pictures to store on the Xbox's hard drive, and an adjustable image filter to alter the colour of the game. The graphics were improved by the Xbox's more advanced hardware, such as improved water effects and bloom lighting. The length of the load times were also slightly reduced, Dolby Digital 5.1 support was added for the game's cutscenes, and the frame rate now ran at a much more consistent 30 frames per second. So the release dates of this, we've got the Japanese release date of uh, the Dreamcast version was the 6th of... The 9th, which is September <laughs> 2001, uh, and we've got the 23rd of November 2001, which I assume is the, the EU release date, and then it was also re-released in the EU on the Xbox on the 21st of March 2003, uh, with the US getting it a few months earlier, the 28th of October 2002. So Matt, what is your fondest memory of Shenmue 2? I think there's a few kicking around. I'm sure many Shenmue fans would would sort of cite as their favourite. Um, it is a game full of them, so identifying one it was was tough. But but for me, it's it's the um, the whole rooftop sequence at the Yellowhead Building. Amazing. So after you fought, after you sort of fought your way through to the top, you have the what's considered the boss fight with Dolneo, of course, and you have that that stare down with Landy on the helicopter. And it's all—it's like he's just just slightly out of reach. But it's almost for me—it's the first time that Landy almost takes on Rio that he might be a threat, that he might actually be useful to him. I mean, these are things that are still to be answered. But I think the whole package together, in terms of the way the scenes were were choreographed, the way it was set out, the music, everything for me at that point was was well, it was, it was amazing. And actually, I think at the time. When I first played Shenmue 2, I took that as the end of Shenmue 2, if you like. Yeah. And then sort of Guilin was was um, sort of an add-on, if you like. But I think, yeah, I, for me, that that's my favourite memory of Shenmue 2, without without a doubt. It's probably one of the most, if not the most, epic moment in in the series out of all three games for me. It is. It is really cool, and I, I like how the sky, uh, uh, you know, it's all purple looking, and 
orangey. It's you know, it's a really great moment in the series that is, especially after the onslaught of the forty floors that you had to get there to <laughs> to, to reach the roof as well. Fighting your way up through scores and scores of of, of yellowhead um, thugs and everything else, planks, you name it. Definitely, <laughs> he got up there and and he did it. So James, what what's your Shenmue Two memory most favourite one? Well, you've touched upon it then with the the Guilin section. That for me has always been my highlight of the series. Really, just the the music that that plays in that area, the, the scenery. Um, you know, to squeeze that extra into the game, which, like you say, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure a lot of people felt like that was the end of the game, and then suddenly you're moving on to Guilin. It's you know, it's it's mind blowing really that. They were able to, to squeeze so much out of Shenmue 2 like that. You've got a uh, pretty much a, a two-hour walk, and uh, I think that's it's really uh, quite a testament to Yu Suzuki how he, he you know he, he's developed a game that you've spent a two-hour sequence of just literally just walking. There's no action. There's no fighting. All that's in the past now. After the the scene on the rooftop, you've just got this. This calm, peaceful walk with Shenpoir through um, Guilin, trying to get to Bailu Village, um, and you know that, that that part of the game is just it, it really winds you down. It's it's really a nice way to end end the game, and up up until the point there that it, you know it ended the the series for a long, long time. How the the story in the in the cave at the end just goes nuts, and all this mag- magical, mystical. Uh, elements that they, they threw him right at the end there, which you know really kept us hanging on for the next fifteen years, uh, until obviously sub- subsequently we ended up getting Shemu three, which we'll touch more on in a moment. But just for me, that whole section, the whole Guilin section, is is my favourite in the series. And um, I tell you, I'd call it daring. It's bold. It's brash. You got to. I know that the, the setting of Guilin is very peaceful and tranquil, but when you consider the transition from where he's come from in Kowloon to having that peaceful two-hour walk, it's a heck of a risk in a game, isn't it, when you think about it? It's a massive risk, but I think he put... I mean, I didn't appreciate it till later on in life, actually, but I think you look at it now and you think, A, it's a big risk, and B, they pulled it off, and it actually fits the context of what they're trying to do in Shenmue 3, which, as you say, we'll touch on in a minute, with the development of the relationship between Rio and Shenhua, I think. Yeah, and and for it to be at the end of Shemu Two, if you've got to that part of the game, you know you've already fallen in love with the series. You're already happy enough to 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 go through that excursion. If they'd have uh, waited for Shemu Three to put a two hour walk on at the game, I don't think people being introduced to the series would uh, necessarily have a a very good of idea of what type of game this is. You know, with a, a two hour walk to begin Shemu Three, for example. So it was good that they kind of put it at the end of Shemu Two. And um, you know, you really appreciated that that journey that Rio took. Uh, you know, a lot of games would probably just have a cutscene that takes you from one point to to the next. But you know, Shenmue really let you manually do that walk, and you know, it's I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So we're going to play a piece of music from Guilin, of course, and it's going to be the the introduction to Guilin as Rio is arriving on the the boat that he's just left from Hong Kong. And uh, he's just arriving in Guilin, and this is the piece of music that plays.
Okay, so moving on now to Shemu 3, we've uh, we recently did a Twitch live stream with the the help of Cop Media and Deep Silver and Sega, of course, and um, this included special guests Adam Korolek, James Rayner, and the legendary Corey Marshall. And after the the stream, we actually had a little chat with them before leaving for that night, and this is what they said. 
Okay. So my fondest memory of Shenmue was frankly beyond the game when you started getting to uh, interact with the people who made the game. Uh, the first time I, I think my most exciting moment though was I was in Los Angeles and I got to meet someone who is, you know, you, you could basically say is the voice of the game, is the of the franchise. Uh, I met them, I started fangirling, and it was just the most insane time. I got to meet Yu Suzuki. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. You thought it was yeah. you. You thought it was you. Well, <laughs> oh, you sneaky bastard. When you put in uh, the voice of, of, uh, of Shenmue. Yeah, well, thank, thank mean... you for that. that Thank you for uh, making me smile on the inside. I felt all warm and fuzzy for a moment, and I thought, "Oh, Adam really does care. He doesn't. He. Do it's not just the whole show. You know, no. it's not just the whole outside show. No, he. I mean, he feel no. And then, and then you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank, no. thank you for humbling me there. You're, you're welcome. I appreciate it. You're, no, you're a friend. I can make fun of you. That's fine. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, like Corey becoming one of my best friends is obviously a great thing. But it is an amazing coincidence that I met both of you in Los Angeles. So I like, you know, I, I had that whole thing planned out. I hope you're happy with that. Mm, nice. That was a good one. Thank that you. was a good thank one. You. You, but you had me. I had that. I had that warm feeling right here, and then you snuffed it. You I did. <laughs> but the the the, the serious uh, answer to that, because I have met Yusuke, I've met him, I met a bunch of people in the Shemu uh, who are you know responsible for the game. That is really the experience. Is outside of the game, getting to know all the people who are responsible for its creation has been by far the most rewarding experience. Uh, having been a Shenmu fan, and actually, I'm gonna uh, piggyback. Uh, right off of that with uh, actually something very similar. So my um, favorite experience uh, with the Shenmue franchise is similar to Adam's in the sense that um, actually got getting to spend time with the creator and the man behind it, Yu Suzuki. Um, when you sit down and you talk to him about Shenmue, I had, I had the opportunity to uh, sit down, have lunch, you know what I mean? Or if we're playing a beta version of the game that uh, hasn't been fully fleshed out yet, uh, I remember one time he opened up his laptop and we had a chance to to play the unfinished version. And when he when he talks about Shenmue, he gets this sort of like gleam in his eye. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Like he's sort of he's a very like cool calm down to earth kind of guy he you know he's he, he's uh he's he's just he's he, he's great he's one of those guys you just want to be around uh and talk to but when it comes to shinmu uh, something starts to stir within him you know what i mean and you can see that you can feel it when you're when you're talking to him and you're looking in his face and he starts to talk about this or that and something down something like uh, the details in uh, the 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 mud or the water or something like that or to some of his some of his favorite characters he he really does it, it's it's it you can tell that it's not just a job for him you can tell that it really is a passion project um and, and that sort of feeling i think is is also infectious you know that's it, that's what gets me so invested in Shenmue, when when I when I speak to him and and how he it's it's like um, it's like how a proud father talks about one of his children. You know what I mean? So my favorite experience is actually just sitting down with uh, Yu Suzuki and uh, talking about uh, sometimes even just minute details or 
uh, overall story and some of his favorite characters, like I mentioned before, that 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 seeing him and how he feels uh, about Shenmue um, really gives me um, a feeling that this this is his this is his magnum opus. Like this is his project. This is like like I said, it almost it almost feels like it's a it's another child of his that he gets to uh, share with the rest of the world. You're listening to Winterfest 2020. For our full programming schedule, check out radiosega.net. Okay, so Shenmue 3 was released in November 2019 with a huge 18-year gap between its release and the previous installment, Shenmue 2. It was developed by YSNet, produced by Shibuya Productions, and produced and published sorry, by Deep Silver for Windows and PlayStation 4. The story continues where the second game left off in 1980s Guilin, China, with Ryo now on the quest to find out about Shenhua's missing father, whilst also still on the hunt for the man that murdered his father, Lan Di. Familiar friends and foes await Ryo as his journey from the rural town of Bailu village to the sprawling port town of Niawu. Like the previous Shemu games, it consists of open-world environments, interspersed with brawler battles and quick-time events. It features a day and night system, variable weather effects, non-player characters with daily schedules again, and various mini-games. So obviously uh, there was a, a real outcry for the series to return, and ultimately Shemu 3 was given a kickstart project to try and help bring the series back from back from the grave, basically. And uh, I've got a little bit about the Kickstarter here. So at the June 2015 E3 conference, following years of speculation, Yu Suzuki launched a Kickstarter campaign to crowdfund Shenmue 3, with Sega having licensed Shenmue to Yu Suzuki's company YSNet. The campaign met its initial target of $2 million in under eight hours, making it the fastest Kickstarter campaign to reach that amount. It ended in July 2015, having raised over $6 million, making it the highest funding highest funded video game and the sixth highest funded campaign in Kickstarter's history. So Matt, what are your fondest memories of Shenmue 3? Well, apart from it actually seeing the light of day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shenmue 3 is an interesting case, and I think actually it'll probably be a discussion point on on itself, actually, down the line. Um, You've got to consider everything that it's done very well in terms of it it was a natural transition from Shenmue 2 to Shenmue 3. It kept the the feel and the atmosphere of the original games. So with that in mind, um, one of my favourite moments in the game was actually in Bailu Village um, in Rainbow Basin, where you find the... I think it's called the second Shenmue tree in the translation, but I'm not quite sure. They do call it the Shenmue tree, don't they? I'm I'm not sure whether that's translation error or not, or it's a cherry tree or something, but... Mm you see the imprint on the tree where someone's been training martial arts and it, it it kicks into memories of distant days and you get that little sort of snippet of Rio training with his father again from when he was a child. And that for me is everything that Shenmue is about. It, it's creating those emotional connections because when I felt that and I saw that, it, it took me back to the first game. And took me back to the reason why Rio is, is is chasing Landy down is because he wants not only vengeance, but he 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 loved his father, and yep. he he wants to repay everything that he's done for him. And he also had, I think, it's Grandmaster Feng come up and ask Rio if he was aware, because obviously he sees him from behind, and that's sort of a a telling moment in in 
the fact that obviously there's people in Bailey Village who still remember a while being there and um, training there, learning there, and yeah, for me that that's that's an iconic moment in in Shenmue Three in terms of what of something they did exceptionally well at that little point in time in that game and it for me it was yeah it, it felt like the first two games in that respect i think yeah there's there's some really nice moments actually in Bailey village just learning about the history of the village and obviously the, the verdant bridge as well and the the characters involved there you see them as children in those those cutscenes, and uh, i think those are some of the best bits of uh, shenmue 3 actually aren't they where you yeah. know you you you're learning about Rio's history again and Iwao being in the village and everyone kind of having a little little memory or at least some characters have memories of Iwao and that, that really, um, you know, you take a step back really and think about that and uh, it's it's pretty cool that um, those those links and those ties there are actually discussed and, uh, you know, some nice history built into the game there. Uh, for myself, uh, I would say... Uh, I, I really appreciated uh, the arrival in Niawu, and uh, obviously the, we've got the iconic music there from the, the Sega Saturn uh, footage that we had at the end of Shenmue 2 on the Xbox. That you know that's something else that fans would really like to see one day the, the Saturn version of Shenmue, and uh, obviously that piece of music that they played in the trailer for there, it's actually playing as Rio arrives in Niawu, and you know it can kind of give you some chills really. And obviously at this point now. At the end of Shemu 2, we were in Guilin uh, on the journey to Bailu Village. And it's at this point in the game where we've, you know, we've waited so long for the for the third game to be pr- produced. And Rio's been in Guilin for all this time and the Bailu Village. And now this is literally the next part of Rio's journey. He's on the way to this, this new port town of Niawu. And uh, the player at this point in time is... You know, we don't know what Rio's got in store. Really, we're, we're still on the on track to find Landy, and we've been told he's he's somewhere in the Awu at this moment. So, leaving Guilin for the first time in fifteen to eighteen years, and arriving in a brand new Shemu area, uh, that moment was, was was really cool. I thought so because we've just talked about that. I'm going to play the the piece of music there that I just spoken about the the Sega Saturn theme for Shenmue and obviously it's it's now in Shenmue 3 and it's called Flow of the Lijiang River.
Hi there, my name is Casey, host of the Sega Lounge podcast, where I interview prominent members of the Sega community, like the co-owners of the Shenmue Dojo, <clears throat> and video game industry people related to Sega. I'm also part of Radio Sega's staff. Those who are familiar with my radio shows and podcasts know well of my love for Shenmue. The first two are collectively my first game of all time. That obviously means there are many special moments in both games that I hold dear. The original Shenmue is, as I said many times, a game that changed my life. It opened my eyes to different games, different genres of music, and even different cultures. One particular moment that stuck with me for the longest time was the ending of the first game. Seeing Ryo getting on that ship and watching it sail into the horizon while the epic theme song plays and Shenhua's poem is recited, it still gives me chills. Actually, all the cutscenes that involve arriving or leaving a place are amazing. Arriving at the harbor for the first time with snowy scenery playing, arriving in Kowloon, leaving Kowloon, arriving in Gilin, and the moment when Landy leaves by helicopter. All great memories and great pieces of orchestral music. Chills, man. Literal chills. It's that time of year again. Time for Radio Sega's Winterfest. Join the community over the weekend for live shows, giveaways, the best Sega music, and a whole load of fun. For our full programming schedule, check out RadioSega.net. So that was Flow of the Lijiang River from Shenmue 3's opening cutscene, The Arrival of Niawu. Uh, obviously, as part of the, the series revival, we ended up getting Shenmue 1 and 2 collection, which was uh, released on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. And that was released in EU and US on August the 21st, uh, 2018, and uh, in Japan on November the 22nd, 2018. So um, riding on the, the coattails of Shenmue 3, Sega brought the original two games to modern systems with D3T at the helm of the development. They featured a host of updated features and found its release on PS4, Xbox One and Steam, which I just said. Uh, after Shenmue 3's successful project, Yu Suzuki stated that he strongly wanted Shenmue 1 and 2 to be remastered to let newcomers play these original two games and be prepared for Shenmue 3. It would also preserve the Shenmue series and make it more accessible to both new and old fans. And a limited edition box set, including a double CD soundtrack for both games, was also released exclusively in Japan. So these updated features we got were full 1080p 16x9 resolution, modern and classic controls, modern HD user interface, English and Japanese voice, uh, English, Japanese, German, French, Chinese and Korean subtitles. Saves could be carried over from Shenmue to Shenmue 2 on all platforms. And uh, you can now save anywhere in both games. And obviously they added some achievements. So what were your thoughts on the, the revival of the, the Shemu 1 and 2 collection here, Matt? I mean, I think it was it was obviously a natural progression. I mean, I, from what you read and what, what you've seen in the media, Sega may have been thinking about this around the time of the Kickstarter of Shenmue 3. I mean, we, we don't know. Um, but certainly I think it's a vital piece of Shenmue history in the fact that it's allowed for preservation of the original games on modern platforms. It's allowed new players to come in because if you, if you look on social media, um, you do see people picking up Shenmue 1 and 2 for the modern platforms and, and enjoying the game. So I think it's a segue into, into the series. I think 
D3T had a lot of work to get them to work on modern platforms. I, I know there there are some issues in terms of some of the music and some of the sound effects in the games on on certainly on the console versions, which I know the PC mods have corrected. But I actually think it, they're a perfectly serviceable way into the series. And I mean, you can pick two games up for the best part of twenty quid. Exactly. You're not going to complain. You're not going to complain. To, but you know, two games, twenty pounds. Two of the both greatest sort of games ever made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're both sort of twenty to thirty hour epics. So, all in all, I think you, you've got a good bang for your buck there. You've got serviceable ports that run on modern platforms, and it's part of that series revival, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's part of part of the collective revival of Shenmue as a franchise. Yeah, and what did you think of the uh, the leaked footage of the actual remaster that they were working on? Uh, do you know something? It, it's one of those catch-22s. If you don't see it, you're unaware of it, and you just you, you imagine things in your head. Yeah, you're happy with what we got. Yeah. yeah, but then we've seen what could have happened what may still happen, we don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's there's no basis for me saying this. I'm just guessing. And I, I, I wonder what it would have come out like. Mm. What I wonder how it would have worked. I wonder in terms of the fan base, how it would have been received. And I wonder what it would have done in terms of attracting new players. I think what they showed, certainly Shenmue 1, which looked relatively well done. Yeah. Like it certainly looked like it was towards beta. I might be wrong. Um, I know Shenmue 2, they hadn't got anywhere near as far through the game. But what what they had on, on screen, what, they, what obviously was leaked, um, which which caused a bit of a stir, if you remember, <laughs> yeah. um, it was very, very good. And it's a project that I would love to see finished. I don't, I, I believe one day it will. But it's not going to be any time soon, I don't think. But I think it's worst case scenario. It's a piece of Shenmue history, a bit like Shenmue on the Saturn, yeah. that um, is vital, I think, for the community to see what was being done behind the scenes. I mean, I go back to my my opening point on it. it it's one of those things that if we if we never saw it, we'd be none the wiser. But for a uh, for a preservation, for sort of an analysis of what was going on with the franchise. And it, was, it says to me there was big ideas going on behind the scenes. And it says to me yeah. that there are people in high places somewhere who obviously have a soft spot for the franchise and want want to, want to give it give it everything it can to be as successful as it can. And I think while obviously it was, it was dropped for whatever reason, and we, we, we don't know the reasons behind it. I think going forward, it's a basis for imagination. It's a basis for the community. Um, It's a basis for people. If they want to start thinking about um, their own fan projects, as we've seen with um, Shenmue in dreams, for example, um, so I, I I just think it's a vital piece of, of the franchise history and it feeds in sort of obviously into the sort of the further revival. It feeds into, I think, just yeah everything. What could have could have been really. What could have been and what, where we could end up. And we don't know where we could end up, but I think we have some idea of where the franchise is going and I'm sure we'll discuss in a moment. 
you heard it first then, folks. Uh, Matt thinks that we will eventually get a Shenmue remaster. <laughs> yeah, don't put your money on that, folks. <laughs> Just okay. blame me for losing all your money. Hello, I'm Cedric Biscay, and my fondest Shenmue memory is the day I got a yes from you, Suzuki. So, that's kind of the series in a nutshell, but I'm just going to go over briefly some of the sort of offshoots that we received. So, obviously, before Shemu was actually released on the Dreamcast, we had a, a demo disc that was released in Japan called What Shemu, and uh, this was due to a delay in releasing Shemu in Japan. Anyone who pre-ordered the game was given a demo of um, on the original intended release date, and this demo features a playable portion of Dubuita, although not all of it is accessible. You play as Ryo, much like you would in the full game, only instead of searching for clues on his father's murder, Ryo is actually looking for Mr. Yukawa, who was the, the senior managing director of Sega at the time. Um, so, did you, you manage to play this demo, I'm assuming, Matt, at some point? Many years later. Yeah, same same for me. I think it was with the, uh, uh, you know, being able to, to purchase stuff on eBay. Yeah. This kind of this propped up and... You know, that was one of the, the purchases, one of my original purchases off eBay, probably, no doubt. I got it really cheap. It was, I think I paid 15 quid for it on eBay with shipping. Yeah. I was well happy with it at the time. I, I made, um, got a code breaker disc made up for it and, and had to go through it. And it's quite clever, actually, when you think about it. Obviously, as you say, it was a, it was a demo released on the original intended release date for Shenmue 1. But it's yeah. very, very clever marketing in that respect because it, it keeps people interested. It, it whets the appetite. It, and also... Yeah, it gave everyone a, a taste of the, the game, really, the gameplay and it, everything. It's a goodwill gesture as well. Is it? It's not like, a, ha, 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 we're not releasing it. You have to wait sort of thing. It's like, we know you're, we know you're patiently waiting. We know, you know, we know you want this game. We can't release it just yet, but here's a taster for you. And I think I think now it's obviously it's part part of sort of Shenmue folklore, isn't it? And in, in terms of yeah, the series, totally. and there's little nuances in it. Like I think in the URK, there's an out stand up outrun cabinet, for example, which isn't in <laughs> Shenmue One. There's other little tweets and bits and pieces in there that aren't in Shenmue One. So it's it's interesting. There's that weird um, button if you press B and he crouches for some reason. <laughs> yes, there, there is, and it's. Yeah. It's an interesting point in the in the game's history, and I'm sure the modding community have have torn it to pieces to go to get any little secrets out of it. But again, it's it's, it's a vital part of, of of the franchise history, and it's um, if you can pick it up on eBay or from anywhere, it, it's it's um, well worth adding to your collection because those games they, that that disc will become rarer and rarer. And if you really want a rare version, get the the yellow Famitsu version. Which came out yep. in Japan. That's really rare and really expensive. Yeah, that that came with um, I think the Famitsu magazine. It's I don't know if it was like free on the front cover or you had to send off for it. I'm not. 100% I don't know. That, I but don't know, but it's yeah, it's rare. It's a really cool version. I've seen people pay hundreds of pounds for it. And obviously, the uh, they released a, a video as well, a VHS uh, called Watch Shenmue, and that had some early footage of Shenmue. Um, and this footage included. What is is now the the, the infamous bicycle, <laughs> uh, which Rio's seen getting on and riding along the streets of Dubuita. Uh, so that would have been a, a cool addition to the game. Obviously, I I can't understand why they they took that out because obviously Shemu One 
areas aren't huge, so uh, the bicycle would probably take a lot of that that running around out of it, really, wouldn't they? This, you know, you get on a bike and then you'd be getting off two seconds later. Um, so, you know, in terms of fast travel, it's not really that required in a, a, a town as small as the Shemu ones. It's again, it's, it's it's folklore, isn't it? Yeah, it, it would be nice to see if we could get it. <laughs> it would, I think. Um, and I might be wrong in my assertion here, but wasn't there talk of it supposed to possibly been imp- being implemented into Shenmue 2 as well? Or uh, Well, there was, uh, I know Switch from Phantom of Estonia was investigating the bicycle in Shenmue 2 as well. And uh, we know because from uh, an unreleased part of the game, we got a screenshot for it. I don't know if it was in a magazine or something at some point, but uh, Rio was seen on a bicycle in Shenmue 2 as well in the... Uh, um, South Comain quarter and there's a, a little girl on the back of the bike as well and uh, we were theorising a bit where the bicycle used to, to used to be in, in Shemu 2 I think it, it was pro- probably like a, a quest of some sorts I think actually Switch translated something that said about um, a medicine delivery that Rio had to do from there was like a little shop like a medicine shop and so you'd get on the bike there and came up with their own sort of uh, <laughs> ideal bicycle path it kind of went up and through into maybe coming into Manmu Park or something like that. Yeah, obviously there's there's better information than how I'm describing there on over on phantomriverstone.com. Uh, so search for that post. That's like the bicycle in Shenmue Two. Um, I think might 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 even be called that as the blog post. So uh, moving on now, a uh, couple of also infamous uh, little blips in the series. Really, um, obviously Yu Suzuki was trying to. Give Shemu a bit of a lifeline in between uh, these years from Shemu two onwards, uh, where this the series was on a bit of a hiatus. But he did try and work out uh, an online game, which was you're kind of growing in popularity at the time. Obviously, you've got World of Warcraft and those type of uh, online games, and uh, they thought they'd have a little crack at that. Which it's still actually yeah, it hasn't officially been cancelled still. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's maybe a little bit too uh, too long ago now that it, it probably you, you could consider this cancelled or long cancelled. Yeah, I'd say that's that firmly in the bin. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I've got a little bit of a synopsis here. Let's let's see what it says. So it says uh, Shenmue Online was an announced MMO RPG where players participated in scenarios from Shenmue Two. In 2004, Shim Online was announced to be developed in joint venture between Sega Japan and JC Entertainment of Korea. Players would join one of three clans led by Shenhua, Huying, and Ren and go through the story by completing tasks given by their leaders. During the course of the story, each clan interacts with one another in both friendly and hostile situations with Landy and Ryo making appearances in those situations as well. Yu Suzuki stated that the game would take place not only in Hong Kong and China, but Macau as well and appeared happy when asked what players would be able to do there. That's a little, little interesting tidbit there. Shem uh, Lies World was due to be much bigger than the home versions, including over 1,200 buildings and locations, and it would be possible for each player to have his or her own house. And again, while never officially cancelled by Sega, it's presumed to have been cancelled around 2007. So have you got any experiences with this uh, this matter at all? Obviously, we did speak about the, the trailer before yeah. recording the podcast, which uh, if you, you haven't seen the trailer to Shemu Online, uh, I think, think there's, a, there's more than one actually, but some of the elements of those trailers could be foreshadowing of uh, what we're going to see in the future of the series. 
again, it, it adds to the to the law of the series more than anything else. I mean, you can look at it from a business standpoint and go whether it was a flawed ideology or not to go with it. Um, because I suppose they, they must have drilled in a lot of money to this for it then to get canned, which I suppose the question of everybody's minds at the time is why wasn't it Shenmue 3 when they're probably pouring in millions of dollars to it? I don't know. I mean, like you say, I think those MMORPGs were, were getting a lot of traction at the time. Had it been released and been successful, it would have probably funded the series, remasters, and everything else in between. So it, that's probably what they were hoping for, really, wasn't it? The, you know, I think you're right. Gaining traction. I think you're right. I think that's what they were going for. But if we go back into the, obviously the trailer itself, it, it foreshadows things like Shenha's powers and sort of the talk around that and there's just little snippets in there of of what could be coming so it's divisive isn't it Shenmue online in the community um I'd have played it regardless I think had it had it seen a release over in the west I'd have played it because it was Shenmue and I would be supporting the series being honest was it what I wanted no Absolutely not. It, no. I wanted, and the the actual fighting didn't look the greatest, did it? Uh, the little fighting. There's all sorts of rumours and talk that parts of it were reskinned from another game. Um, it went through so many sort of development changes over over time and fallouts, and uh, it, it it had a checkered development. And I don't think it was a surprise that it got canned in the end, although unofficially. Because mm. they never actually said it was, and I don't, I don't understand that that stance on it either. But um, yeah, it's an interesting take on what they were looking to do to try and make the series and franchise more viable. Um, it's a shame it never saw the light of day. Barring, I think there was a beta test in Korea and South Korea somewhere. And if you want sort of one of the holy grails of the Shenmue community. If anyone's got the beta of Shenmue online and they want to release it to the community, I'll buy you a beer. Do it. <laughs> More than a beer. Yeah, I'll buy you two beers. Yeah. No, but I agree. I mean, I was I was really into uh, MMORPGs at the time, actually. So this was kind of almost tailored towards my, my tastes at the time. But obviously the footage of the, the combat and all that sort of stuff wasn't on par with the similar releases at that time. And obviously Shenmue had already got a really good uh, fighting system based off of Virtua Fighter. So seeing the sort of stiff motion uh, weapon-based kind of fighting just didn't really feel that Shenmue to me. Um, obviously some of the screenshots look really nice and it ultimately it would have been great to have been able to play this game. Um, but uh, obviously it's not really affected us too much in terms of the series uh, especially now that we've got Shemu 3 and um, obviously it's not really um, something that fans are really crying out for uh, an online Shemu or at least uh, this this game to actually get its release I don't think a lot of fans will be upset that this never yeah never actually got released yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that I think it'd be one of those things that if it ever did get released it'd be sort of a nice oh that you know thank you know, brilliant released it yeah but mm. Like you say, I don't think the, the community were crying out for it then. I don't think they're crying out for it now. And yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult point in 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 the, the franchise's history. Um, but then again, I think it's synonymous with the franchise's his, checkered history as we go on, isn't it? But what we what we did get out of it was um, I'm not 100 percent on where they got the this this from, but the we've got some music that 
they were going to use for the game. And there's there's quite a lot of tracks, really. I think there's a, a couple of hundred tracks that make up this soundtrack that that was uh, either leaked or released at some point. But um, we're going to play a piece of music now that hasn't actually got a title, obviously. Uh, a lot of the, the, the music was actually used again in Shenmue 3, so it's obviously part of that. You know, they keep going on about the 30% unused music. Uh, they've only used 30% of the whole music that they created originally for the game. So it's obviously, um, it's got a collection of pieces of music that's in that 70% chunk of stuff that we've never heard kind of thing. And obviously Shenmue 3's used a lot of that with its, is it 300 and whatever tracks that they've released for the soundtrack there, Matt? Was it 319 or am I just making that up? 319, that sounds about right, yeah, which obviously makes up the that limited run games uh, official soundtrack that released recently, which I think you can still pick up. Yeah. Got the, you can get the vinyl collection or the CD collection or... If you're into digital downloads, there's a download it digitally digitally through Bandcamp, I believe. But anyway, we're going to play a song that um, is part of the Shemu Online soundtrack. You might not have heard it before. Uh, and like I say, it hasn't got a title, but here it is. So that was a piece of music from Shemu Online, untitled, because we never never got a title for it, because the game obviously never saw the light of day. Uh, and kind of another another game, almost, that was, I don't know if you can class it as a game, but uh, Yusuzuki, again, he's, he's always at the forefront of, of trying to, um, you know, keep up with current trends or, you know, even creating those trends as, as well. But obviously, 
um, at the time there was a successful mobile game called Matthew Wars, and I think Yu Suzuki saw that the uh, there was a, a bit of a, a boom in mobile games becoming a thing. So he, he dipped his toes in the water for a game he called Shemu City. I think it's also called Shemu Gai uh, in Japan. So Shemu City was a game in the Shemu series released for smartphones in Japan. So this was actually released. The game conceived a way of relaunching the game franchise by series creator Yu Suzuki. It was announced in late 2010 for cell phones and also for PCs, but only a cell phone version was actually released. The game was discontinued in late 2011. The main character is a follower of Ryo Hazuki and is guided by him to explore, attempt quests and grow stronger through battle. Characters from other Shemu games make appearances as well and much of the original Shemu plot is retold. Shemu City was first conceived when Yu Suzuki noted the popularity of Mafia Wars, a social game designed for mobile phones. He formed a plan that if the game was a, su- a success, its popularity could be leveraged to make another mainline Shemu game. Yusuzuki stated in an interview with Famitsu that he wanted to explore the series without very expensive graphics or sound elements like the original game. The game's beta, or beta began on September the 21st, 2010 on the Japanese content provider DENA's Yahoo Mobage mobile gaming platform. I've never heard of. <laughs> on October the 7th, 2010, Shemu City was also announced for the PC as a browser-based game with a winter 2010 release date, but was never actually released. And the game was shut down uh, completely on December the 26th, 2011. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, so uh, I personally, I think this was kind of my hiatus on dojo forums and just following following Shenmue as a whole really so this this title actually passed me by I, I don't actually remember anything about this game uh, just seeing some of the screenshots here now it looks quite cool and it'd be something I'd be interested in if they were to revive it somehow for current mobile phones um, but do you have an experience with this one Matt? It's, it's like you it's very minimal um I was in it like in and out of, of the various communities at the time um because I think we were we were sort of going through a dark phase with Shenmue and I, th- I think the logic behind it is quite sound in terms of taking advantage of, of mobile gaming, which is, as we know now, is still in- insanely popular. Um, so I don't know why it never really translated into a success because I've never played it. So it's difficult for me to... to... Is it even available? I mean, does any, did anyone ever save the, the download file that they had to download or whatever eventually? I, I can't say I've ever seen it shared or anything. Again, if anybody's got it in the community, there's some beer on the line for you. <laughs> um, it, maybe a Japanese fan might have it on an old device if they could you know, search that attic or something and dig out an old phone. Would it work, Would it work though? Because it was taken offline. So unless you can get... That's true. Yeah, you'd have to bypass the online connection or something. Yeah. It depends if everything, all the content was online or not. That, that's true. I yeah. No, because if... The interesting is obviously the passport disc was, was cracked to work um, offline eventually because I remember Switch again was, was, I think, was heavily involved in that project, if my memory serves me correctly, but we'll talk about that another time, I'm sure. So whether some a similar principle could be applied here, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if, if so, obviously, I'm pretty sure then someone would be able to rebuild it, you know, similar to what we've done with... Um, with Super Pass, yeah, we've, yeah, you know, yeah, we've taken the passport stuff and you know rebuilt uh, the, the passport disc. That would be awesome if they was able able to get a hands on some sort of uh, version of this. That you know that would be amazing, really, to to revive this ourselves as well. It's one of these things again. 
I think from my own experience of when I heard about it, I was like, nah, it's yeah, it's a mobile game. I can see the point behind it. I can see why they're looking at it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd play it. Of course I would. It's Shenmue. I'd, I'd certainly give it a pass and have a go at it. Um, but again, it wasn't what I wanted. I get, I, I understand the logic. I understand why they were thinking about doing it. Um, yeah. It, it makes me wonder how much money has been thrown at Shenmue projects that never saw the light of day. It's true. It's scary. It's, it's a shame. It's, it's scary, but it's <laughs> it's also um, it's a shame, really, that Yu Suzuki did the stuff when he did because obviously, if he'd uh, hung on a few more years, I mean, mobile phones really, really hit the charts, didn't they? You got your Candy Crush and all that sort of stuff. I don't say Shenmue would have been on par with the terms of you know, income generation, you know, we're talking billions for some of these mobile games, but I think he's just a little bit too early with, with his, his, um, obviously he's, he's always trying to, to be at the forefront of new technology and everything. He's, you know, he's really, he's mindful of, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. He comes up with a lot of, a lot of these ideas himself really before that they're actually even possible to be to be made. So same with same with the original Shenmue. You know, it was a game that was well ahead of its time. Really, you know, the graphics and everything they managed to get out of the Dreamcast was insane. You know, it's, it's a testament to Yu Suzuki, even going back to his arcade days. You know, that some of these games revolutionised the industry really because he was the first to come up with these concepts and these ideas. And I think he's he's just a little bit of a you know, uh, detriment. What's what's the the phrase where he's he's a bit too he does it to himself kind of thing. If you know what I mean, where he comes up with these ideas and stuff, but they're a little bit too early in terms of um, yeah. being able to, to to really blow. Up. I know what you're saying, and I think it, again, it's difficult to know without playing the game whether whether it would have caught on anyway because it we we I don't know I don't know its quality. I don't really know anything too much about it apart from the screenshots that were available online at the time um so it's it's one of those that you file under yeah if it got released i'd be happy to have a go at it but it really isn't at the forefront of my mind anymore um i i get every i get why it was done i get the idea behind it and i think it was a solid idea and like you say it's probably two three years too early um but i yeah it's one i file under be nice to see but not particularly bothered about um, if it happened, you know, if it did come out or we, we saw, saw a cracked version of it or something like that, that we could sort of have a look into fine. But it goes back to me saying, yeah, I want mainline Shenmue games. Um, I'm being greedy more than anything. Else. I'm really <laughs> being a bit harsh to it in actual fact that, that a bit harsher than I should be because what what I'm I'm probably forgetting here is that Yu Suzuki was looking for a viable way to continue the series because he knew the fans wanted it, and it was of it was an idea that had it taken off could well have done that a bit like Shenmue Online. So yeah, yeah exactly. I, maybe I'm doing it a, di- a bit of a disservice in that respect, but it's just, it's the way I f- yeah the way I feel about it, and it's just my humble opinion at the end of the day. I agree. I mean, obviously he's dipped his toes in all these different things, and it's you know it's it's nice of the the guy to to keep wanting to try and revive the series for for all the fans. You know that was when you saw him in the the Kickstarter trailer um, for Shemu Three. How you know he he really hones down the he wants to do it for the fans. You know the fans' passion throughout this. We've all, we've always been there, keeping the keeping the series alive ourselves, really. Uh, especially recent years on social media, where we've got a platform to voice 
uh, <laughs> demands really that you know we're after continuation of the semi series. So the fact that he's he's tried to do these add these stabs at the online game or the phone game to try and generate the income himself basically to try and uh, then go on to create a next mainline Shemu game. You know, it's it's really nice to to see that he, he cares that much about us, and obviously is it is mag, magma opus um, that he eventually would like to to finish. I'm sure. And another attempt at that in recent times is Shemu the animation. Um, so, quick little summary of the Shemu the animation. So, the studio behind this, which it was only recently announced, actually a few months ago, that the anime series. Uh, so the studio behind this is Telecom Film Animation and Solar Entertainment. And it's been directed by Chikara Sakurai, uh, with obviously the executive producer Zuzuki. Suzuki. Release date is... We haven't actually got one yet, but we've got down here 2021. I guess that's tentative yeah. uh, release date there. I remember, yeah. I remember in the press release, it was they said 2021. But I, if I'm being safe about it, I'd say that'd be late late 2021 possibly yeah i mean we've not seen anything really since this so uh depending on how far along they are with this mm. it could be a while away really but it's going to be on adult swim and crunchyroll who've i think recently just been bought out by someone i remember reading uh, only um, just bought them certainly was it yeah so it'd be interesting to see what actually happens with that now um obviously it's crunchyroll still a thing so it'll still be on the crunchyroll platform but uh I don't know if that's going to affect anything I thought, in the long term. I terms. thought so. I think they'd probably just let it continue organically. I, whether whether that changes anything for any subsequent seasons, I don't know. But yeah, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? It'd be nice if, obviously, hopefully it does well and we don't have to have this bit of a dilemma that we're going to get a second series or not. But uh, I think it'll it'll shape, shape up quite nicely because there's not too many video game based adaptations into anime form at least is there i know there's been a couple that Sega have done with uh, they did a fantasy storm and there has been a virtual fighter anime a while back uh, that i'm not sure obviously were that successful but again you know i think we've got two decent platforms here adult swim and crunchyroll that it's actually got a good chance of of being at success yeah you've got to consider there's millions of people who watch anime signed up to those services so i think as you say it's it's a it's a gateway to those people to come and look at shenmue as, as a franchise okay so a quick overview of the anime an anime television series of shenmue was announced on september the 4th 2020 at the virtual crunchyroll expo the series will be directed by sakurai chikara with its original video game creator yusuzuki serving as executive producer it will be animated by telecom animation film with production management handled by Solar Entertainment. Uh, The series will contain 13 episodes, which we've been told covers all of Shemu 1 and part of Shemu 2. And it will air English dubbed on Adult Swim's Toonami, programming block and streamed by Crunchyroll. Has that actually been um, announced that it's got an English dub, do you know? I I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything official. Um take from it what you will that Corey Marshall voice of Rio and Brianna Knickerbocker who is the English voice of Shenhai and Shenmue 3 any news about it they keep retweeting I'm just putting it out there that's very true just putting it out there putting that seed of seed in people's minds just you know 
Yeah. So whether that's because they're involved or they're hinting, like, can we can we be involved? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it'd be very interesting to see whether that, that comes to fruition. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions around what it's going to look like, what, what it's going to cover. Um, yeah. I know, for was it Famitsu did a recent interview with Yuzuki or was it IGN Japan? I can't remember who it was. I think they had two episodes animated and done they hadn't been dubbed in japanese yet but i remember them saying that yuzuki was very happy with what he'd seen um mm -hmm. it's obviously going to be dubbed in japanese as yeah. well yeah, cool. I, yeah. I'd imagine so, yeah and obviously brianna is actually you know she does a lot of her work in anime, in anime. So she's already got a foot in the door really i would be surprised if she didn't do it or if she hadn't been asked yeah. to do it if it's getting an english dub she's a massive name in anime circles um so it would be a natural progression i think again it's it's all guesswork on my part um I, reading that interview from famitsu which again has been translated by switch um who does you know does a lot of these for the community groups um it's interesting to see that they're, that they're invested in the shenmue story they're invested in giving it their own interpretation of it but not straying too far off what we already know and if yuzuzuki's happy with the quality of it and what he's seeing then i suspect as a fan base we we're going to be very very pleased with it and i think james you touched on this in a previous interview um it's a segue for everybody into the series isn't it like yeah. is an old video game and how many people want to pick up a video game from 1999 and give it a chance this this can do it, and it's your you know you made this point previously, and I think I, I'm going to state this openly. Um, it's a fantastic opportunity for the franchise to further its audience, but I want Shenmue Four as a game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty certain of that. You know, I mean, uh, what you're alluding to there was we, we did a conversation with Casey, didn't we, for Radio Sega's other show, um, the Sega Lounge. And uh, we did discuss the anime there, and uh, obviously, like you say, uh, I think it is a, a great platform to build a fan base uh, surrounding Shenmue. You know, people that aren't willing to go back and replay twenty-year-old games, even if they are on the you know current gen, it's still a bit of a hurdle for some people, especially going in thinking like, "Oh, this game's twenty hours," you know, "This game's thirty hours," and then Shenmue Three is you know forty hours or whatever. It's it's quite a big ask, really. So. For people to be able to easily digest and catch up on the story, uh, I think the animation could really help in that regard. And then, obviously, if Shemu Ford does come out, we've got even more fans, hopefully, behind the series who are are willing to to pick that game up and continue, you know, the story of what they already know now because of the because of the anime. I think it's going to be a good platform to um, to generate more fans like that. And obviously, because. Uh, not being a game, kind of, they could they could go in different directions with it as well. They could um, go go before the game series started and have a look into Rio's relationship with his father before, obviously, they ultimately you know, he gets murdered. It'd be nice to see some of that in there. And obviously, there's a few missing chapters we know about, like the boat chapter between Lee, uh, Rio leaving uh, Japan to get to Hong Kong. You know, there's a bit in there that's has previously only been in a comic form, but it'd be cool if they revisited that for the animation and we actually got to see and you know, see what happens on the boat journey there across to Hong Kong. And hopefully they can do a few more things, you know, with the character relationships and um, it'd just be, be nice to add a bit more to the series. I mean, I'm going to watch it definitely because I want to see how they recreate the the game series that we love so much and just see what kind of uh, elements they throw in there, how they retell the story. 
Um, it's just really exciting to me to see. But obviously, again, like you said there, uh, we do want Chemu 4 as, as a game. And I don't think there's any doubt of that. I think this is just another one of those New Suzuki's dipping his toe in to try and generate a little bit more income towards that actually being a thing. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think if it's successful and it gets further seasons, so you cover the rest of Shenmue 2, you cover Shenmue 3, and then, then everybody's at the same point, aren't they? Um, we're all at the same stage when hopefully Shenmue 4 is released. We're all we're all starting from that exact same point and we can all sort of continue that journey together, hopefully with a widened fan base and widened community. And I think yeah. we're going to segue this in here because we were talking about Shenmue 4 is don't forget um, we are asking for Shenmue 4 on the 4th of every month. Hashtag let's get Shenmue 4 with all the community groups joining in. So that's the dojo, that's Shenmue Forever, it's the 500k, Shenmue Master, Phantom Riverstone, um, and everybody else. If I've forgotten you, I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing this on the spot. Yeah, I'm sure there's, there's more, isn't there? There's, you know, yeah. Sega Saturno yeah. and yeah. Uh, Shenmue Photos. Uh, there's that uh, Shemu one, uh, Shemu two differences. Uh, there's there's a lot a lot of different people involved in the Shemu community, and obviously we don't want to miss anyone out there. So uh, if, um, if you haven't joined in on these these tweets and social media posts on the fourth of every month, do it because it keeps keeps the voices out there that we're not satisfied with just getting Shemu three. We want Shemu four and beyond. And that is a good segue. Just to quickly ask, as we we close the end of this podcast off, Matt. What do you want out of um, Shemu 4 going forward? Like, what would you like to see? I'm I'm going to refer back. I'm going to do a bit of self-plugging. S- s- shameless plug, shall we say. Okay. I want, if anybody's listened to our interview with Ryan Payton, he talks about how Shenmue 3 should be the basis for Shenmue 4 to really push on in terms of the story content, in terms, in terms of how it progresses things forward. And that's what I want from Shenmue 4. I want it to build on Shenmue 3. I want it to almost do what Shenmue 2 did for Shenmue 1. It took on that formula. It improved upon it. It hit the story hard. And it turned out to be an absolute masterpiece. That's what I want from Shenmue 4. I want it to come out all guns blazing in terms of the story. And in terms of those content. In terms of that character development. And I want Yu Suzuki to show the world that while Shenmue 3 is a we're back, but it's almost like an asterisk to it, but wait till you see what's coming next moment. I want Shenmue 4 to take that opportunity and to just hit an absolute home run and create a masterpiece. That's what I want from it. I would echo that entirely what you just said. That's exactly what I'd like to see as well. I think like you say there, Shenmue 4 being Shenmue's 2 Shemu 4 being the Shemu 2 to Shemu 1, it's just in terms of that kind of balance between um, introducing characters and gameplay elements to completely blowing the water um, with story elements and everything. I think they could redo that with the Shemu 3 to 4. They've got the engine built now, they've got the, the gameplay and all that sort of stuff that they've had to rebuild from the ground up. And Shemu 4 then can just focus on delving deeper into the story and the the history behind the mirrors and that sort of stuff. And it'll be really interesting to see how Yu Suzuki goes about continuing the tale there. Uh, obviously, at the end of the Shemu 3, uh, spoiler, we're going across the Great Wall, a bit of a journey there to, to um, the Cliffside Temple. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues the story going forth. 
Definitely. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, actually. Ah, <laughs> people listen to this. Sorry for spoiling the end of Shenmue 3. Yeah, sorry. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, flagship. <laughs> if you haven't finished the game yet, flagship. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, guys, I just want, just want to thank you all for listening to this little special Shenmue Dojo uh, podcast that we produced here. This is the first of hopefully many. And uh, this was in conjunction with uh, Radio Sega's Winterfest. And we're going to close the show with two pieces of iconic Shemi music. Obviously, it's Christmas time now, so we're going to play Christmas on Dobrita Street, and we're going to end with Shemu's original theme, which is also known as, as Sedge Tree. So thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, me and Matt, will, we'll see you again next time. Good Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. You're locked in to Radio Sega's Winterfest 2020. Snow shows in Sega all weekend long. Hi, I'm James Brown, co-owner of ShenmueDojo.com. Hi, I'm Matt Oliver, co-owner of ShenmueDojo.com. And our fondest memory of Shenmue is kind of a bit of a shared experience. Um, back in the start of 2019, we attended Magic Monaco. Uh, obviously, this was before Shenmue 3 had been released, um, and we, we were obviously going there to see the latest footage and just be part of the, the Shenmue community at the event and represent the dojo. And uh, whilst we were there, Matt, I don't know if you want to let the, the, the listeners into a, a bit of an experience we, we both shared in the hotel of um, 
What was that hotel called? So it was um, in the Fairmount Hotel. And for those of you who watch Formula One, um, you'll see the chicanes in Monaco that go down towards the tunnel. And it's on the corner of the chicane that goes left. So, yeah, it's, it's quite, a, quite a little iconic um, hotel. But anyway, long story short, we had been invited over to um, meet with a few of the other Shenmue community people, fans, etc. in um, Peter Campbell's hotel room, who was the previous do- dojo owner before us. And it got on quite late, hadn't it, James? And he was, he yeah. was booting us out of his room. I think he's trying to get rid of us. <laughs> worried about we were causing a bit of noise really yeah. in his room, yeah. A few of us have been, you know, had a few to drink. I'm not naming names. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and yeah, and we, me and you left first. I think you left and I sort of followed you out, didn't I? <laughs> I was trying, yeah. I was trying my best to like kind of convince other people to leave because obviously it was a bit, it was getting a bit late and a bit noisy. So I was thinking if if I picked up and said, okay, I think you know it's time to go, other people would start following. And uh, obviously, a few others actually were staying in the same hotel, weren't we? Yeah, so yeah. I, I was trying to suggest to people, you know, if if you come with us, we can all walk back to the hotel together. Um, so obviously, as we left the room, I think it was me and you, and we went down in the elevator with Peter, who who, who kind of like. Um, just seeing us off basically and yeah. saying goodbye to us until the next day. Obviously, we'd re-meet everyone for the actual event. But uh, once we reached the ground floor of the, the hotel lobby, we, we were kind of waiting in just that little area just by the by the doors for everyone else to, to join us, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And sort of unbeknownst to us, we just sort of sat there chatting away. And Yuzuki decided to come out. I think he was, I think they were probably working on the trailer for Monaco the next day or something. And he walked straight sort of towards us didn't he as we were stood in the hotel lobby and so we it was honestly it was surreal because i had my back to where they were coming from there was actually like a group of maybe five or six japanese men yeah, it was. and at the back of the line was you suzuki I, I remember you you clocking him and just noticing and said oh it's you san like that kind of thing and i, I was I, I didn't know what you meant because we were just having a conversation and you just suddenly said you san and I was, I was like okay and then you, you said it again you san and pointed and i turned around and saw like this line of japanese men and then at the back there was you suzuki and i think he was in that um he wore it quite a lot at the time wanted that the striped sort of shirt the um the black and white yeah. striped yeah. shirt and uh as soon as i saw you you just don't know what to do do you, you just I think you you cried out Yusan again, and he he, he did clock us and, and came came walking over to us. Yeah, he did, and he, I mean he was very very polite. I think he'd had a long day by, by the looks of it. Poor man. Uh, he yeah, he did. Very, I don't know if he was going to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like he was heading heading, heading in a different direction to those men. But um, yeah, I mean he, he had a very quick conversation with us. Um, I think you showed him an early build of Super Pass, wasn't it? That's true. Yeah, I can't remember now if I showed him. It would have been ideal to show him the iPad, but I feel like I just, I had to like whip something out quick, and I just got my phone out. So uh, I was showing him on my phone, which obviously it's it's still great on your phone. It's just I, I wish I'd have shown him a full screen version on the iPad. I can't remember if I did or not, but I, can't remember I showed him a few. Yeah, I showed him a few of the menus and went through the the character profile section, and he seemed impressed. Yeah, obviously he didn't know what to say, and we didn't really know what to say. <laughs> It was one of those surreal moments. Smiling at it and, and sort of being intrigued by it. So I think... He, yeah, he was smiling. Yeah, I remember. But the, the, the funny sort of story is after after you'd showed him Super Pass and we said our goodbyes, 
what, 10 seconds later, the others came down? <laughs> it must have been about more like five seconds as soon as he, as soon as he disappeared behind that side of the, the room. I, I'm assuming that's where the toilets were. It just felt like that. He just disappeared around the corner and literally probably two seconds later after that, Everyone showed <laughs> the doors of the elevator opened, and it was Brilliant. everyone that was going to follow us back to the hotel. Which is, we were just like, you, you won't guess what's just happened. You, you've literally just missed you, Suzuki by two seconds. <laughs> and I think there was a sort of suspension of disbelief for a minute from a few of them. I mean, still, still to this day, people probably don't <laughs> believe us, but hopefully, it happened. We just, <laughs> <laughs> we just done, done the little experience and justice there, and everyone. Hopefully, yeah, believes us. It's a heck of a memory that one. Just, just so random, so out of the blue, and and he didn't have to speak to us, did he? I mean, he took the time to yeah. just have a very quick conversation with us, and and yeah, I, very very pleasant, very humble man. Actually, having having met him there, and I think it set things up nicely for for the following day. And as he walked away, he said, "You know, see you tomorrow." Didn't yeah. he? he? Actually, said it in English. So, you know, we were like, yep, yep, see you tomorrow. You know, looking forward to the next day. Uh, so so that's our fondest memory of Shenmue. Uh, it's, it's an event and, in, in fact, the whole uh, Magic Monaco event is an experience that I'll, I'll never forget. It was the first time meeting, meeting you, Matt. Yeah. It was the first time meeting many Shenmue fans. And um, I think, you know, it's the start of some really good friendships there. And um, hopefully we can do it again someday once, obviously, the current situation is... Eased, eased, eased away, and <laughs> we can go back to doing these kind of uh, these big stage events and stuff. It'll be really cool to meet up with everyone Absolutely. again in the future.
Ah, oh, look at the time. 